0: bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hey there, Jeanne-Marie Penel, your host of The Art of Parenting, and today I wanted to share a conversation I had a while back with my guest, and when I say a while back, it is pre-pandemic conversation, so we have no clue what is about to happen, but I still wanted you to hear these because I think they are still very pertinent, make total sense, and are a wonderful support to my listeners, to parents. And on that note, to support you, I also just created something that I think you might appreciate. It is called the 50 Confident Boosting Activities for Young Children. It is my guide, my gift to you to really hone in on some of these activities that children can be doing at home. And especially during summertime, this is a great time to be setting some of these up. These are valuable for children Um, maybe two, 18 months to, to about six years. And they're just, for me, always these kind of prerequisite to bigger activities that they will be doing. So you're setting the foundation in helping them master some life skills. So please enjoy. The download is in the show notes. This is a free download, free gift for you. And please enjoy this interview and let me know what you think of it. Alrighty, take good care. Bye-bye for now. Hello and welcome back to the Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel, and today I have Dr. Sharon Celine with us. Uh, Dr. Celine's work is in helping us understand different learning um patterns, but most importantly, ADHD. and I wanted to have her on the show because I want to understand what is truly ADHD. I think it's it's something that is thrown around a lot. And so I'm hoping that this conversation is going to shed light on what it is and how we can support our children or family members who might be um, who might have ADHD. So thank you so much for being here. Dr. Celine, welcome, welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Jean Marie, for having me on your podcast. I'm so excited to be here and to spend some time chatting with you about parenting.
0: Yes, thank you. And I love how you say my name because you must have some French background. Or I know actually offline we had talked that you actually presented um, a talk in French in Paris recently.
1: Well, I was actually in Nice in um, may 2019 at an adhd conference there and i decided to take a risk and present in french and my I, I made a friend who is uh annick Vincent who is a psychiatrist in um quebec and she was what she she was my uh my whisperer or oh, she's nice <laughs> mon souffleur <laughs> correct me when I was floundering a little bit, um, um, but it was, it was really fantastic and
0: wonderful, wonderful. So um, I always like to start with having my guests define uh, what the art of parenting is for them. What, what definition do you have for the art of parenting?
1: What a great question. I think my definition for the art of parenting is staying connected with yourself and with your child, living with compassion, working collaboratively and celebrating their joys and successes and their efforts along the way. this leads into my book, the five C's of ADHD parenting, but I feel like it's related to all all parenting, you know, um, self control, compassion, collaboration, consistency, I forgot that one, noticing when your child is trying to learn something or do something, um, and staying steady. And of course, celebration,
0: beautiful, beautiful. And, And it for me, it also ties in with this whole notion that I know I like to mention is observation, just being being an observant of our children, which is kind of what you, you just described in, in learning how they learn, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, my whole approach has a foundation of, of strength-based thinking and attentive awareness. So strength-based thinking is actually a, being able to focus on skills your child has, interests they have, and, being, and, and paying attention to those, but also growing them, and attentive awareness is neutral noticing, observing where your child is, who they are, and 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 really how they are in the world.
0: Hmm. So important, so important. And I would love before we get too involved in the the conversation is to share with our listeners a little bit of your background and how you came to do the work that you are doing today.
1: Yes. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist and I've been working with children, teens, families, young adults, couples uh, who are living with ADHD for a very long time now. And I found that kids were telling me one thing and parents were telling me something else and I wanted to bridge that gap. That's why I wrote my book. I myself grew up in a family with a sibling who had undiagnosed, untreated ADHD because in the 70s we really didn't know a lot about ADHD and it certainly was more um, treated and limited to kids who were in uh, treatment facilities rather than living in families and going to school and managing day to day. And I Myself have always been fascinated by family dynamics and as a parent of two young adults I have had my struggles and my successes. So I come to the to talking about parenting not just from someone who is an observer or who is who who is a professional but also someone who's lived through this personally.
0: Beautiful. Thank you, and and thank you for the work that you do. And I would love to better understand what exactly is ADHD, because I think it's. Uh, I feel sometimes it's it's kind of a word or a label that is thrown around, and sometimes I don't know as if it really is something or if it's just a child being a child, it, it, you know, if, if, if you if you know what I mean, like I, I feel like it's it's been maybe overused and, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would love to understand like the real, your definition of it and how we can detect it maybe in our children or family members.
1: I define ADHD as a chronic condition marked by persistent inattention, hyperactivity, and sometimes impulsivity that is more frequent and severe than we typically observe in children or teens of the same age. Okay. ADHD is a disorder of now. The ADHD brain is a now, not now brain. If I'm doing it now and I find it pleasurable and rewarding, I'm going to continue with it. If I'm doing it now and I hate it, I'm not going to be able to continue with it because I can't see what the now is is like what the not now is like, excuse me. Um, About 10% of kids in the United States are diagnosed with ADHD, and um, it it often travels with uh, friends, as I like to say, whether that's um, autism spectrum disorders, about 25% of kids whose primary diagnosis is ADHD also have ASD diagnoses. Learning disabilities, that's about 70%. Depression, anxiety is around depression and anxiety around 35, 38 percent. Oppositional defiant disorder is about 40 percent. So it, it has other um, other diagnoses or conditions that come along with it. But you um, and it frequently there is a co, there is a co-occurring diagnosis um, often as much as 80 percent of the time.
0: So it's interesting because when you one of your definition is you say not now, so not in the now, and from my understanding in like brain development the, the prefrontal cortex is that whole notion of being able to know what uh, what long-term consequences are. So is that is that the same thing that you are mentioning or it's more subtle than that? It's-
1: it's the next step in the definition um, which is where I would sort of go which is where I was going to go, which is that um, the brain develops from the back to the front jean Marie um, and the inside out. And so the back of the brain is what we often call the reptilian brain or the physiological brain. It's how we breathe. It's our heart rate. It keeps us alive. The middle of the brain is called the emotional brain or the mammalian brain. And that's where we have, um, our limbic system, you know, our fight or flight amygdala lives there. It's also often the seat of language and memory. Uh, It's very tied into emotional functioning. And the front of the brain is is the last part to to develop. And that means it's not that it's not developed, it's connectivity. So the brain connects. And the frontal lobes connect with the rest of the brain in neurotypical brains around age 25. And in ADHD brains, but with about a three-year delay, so uh, maturity. So the frontal lobes are often referred to the prefrontal cortex and the frontal lobes as the thinking brain or the human brain. And this is, this brain, this part of the brain, really directs the rest of the brain in 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 producing in functioning in in creating output in understanding how to live effectively in the world and that's why we'll see young children with huge emotional reactions living in the present and we'll see older teens almost at the age of 20 being able to think about the future manage their emotional reactions understand some of the consequences of their choices so the, it's a it's a it's a spectrum because we you know child development is in a child's favor as they grow and change the brain re- retains a certain plastic, plasticity and adapts along the way um, uh, ADHD, by the way, is the most inherited mental health condition. 57% of adults with ADHD have a child with ADHD. And if you have one child with ADHD, there's a 33% chance you're going to have a second child with ADHD. And it works the other way too. A lot of times I'll see people come into my office and they will have children who have been diagnosed with ADHD, but when they were kids, the information wasn't there, the knowledge that we have today wasn't there, and they themselves were not diagnosed. And over time, they'll say, you know, I think I might have some of this, or I certainly struggle with these executive functioning challenges. We have about, we have 11 executive functioning skills that have been identified, and they're things like verbal um, and behavioral impulse control, emotional control, working memory, sustained attention, time management, organization. The last, Um, executive functioning skill to develop is what's called metacognition, or I like to refer to it as self-evaluation. The ability to understand yourself and judge what you're doing in the context of the world and the effect that you're going to have on others, that comes, you know, really coalesces in neurotypical brains around age 25 and a little bit later in um, ADHD brains, but development is not linear. So you'll have strengths in some areas, challenges in others. You'll make two steps forward, one step back. You know that is the process of growing. These skills have to be taught. They are learned. They're not learned by what I call miracle osmosis or sole op- solely through observational skills. Kids need to learn these executive functioning skills from their parents. One of the challenges often is if a parent is struggling with executive functioning skills or their own ADHD, then it's hard to teach what they are struggling with to their kids and they get frustrated because they just want them to understand that this is the way you should do it now um, because they've struggled and figured it out themselves.
0: Right, and it's it's interesting what you said about the percentage of um, you know children whose parents had ADHD. I just had a friend, um, who her child was diagnosed quite late. She's a freshman in college. And when they did all the, I guess, you know, testing and whatever, they discovered that the father was also... So they're both diagnosed, father and daughter, um, which which is fascinating because he's been, you know, he's, he's an engineer and high-functioning adult. Uh, and um, so, yeah, interesting... So, so for me, I, just to go back to that, just so I'm clear on this whole brain development, because at, at the beginning you said that it was something about, you know, not being able to to be to think about the not now, so so very present moment uh, action and, and and thinking, which to me is what children do. I mean, they are very much in the present moment. So how is the, the diagnose of ADHD different from, uh, from, from, you know, I guess a, a child, quote unquote, who, who doesn't have this diagnose to just being a child that is so much in the present moment? Like what are, what, what, how would a parent know that, Oh my gosh! There's there's maybe something a little different here that I need to look into. What would be some some things that would be red flags? Maybe
1: that, that's an excellent question. So, kids with ADHD, um, the the challenge for them is that they cannot bring themselves to do things in which the the present experience is is unpleasant. They don't. If it's unpleasant, intolerable, they can't really concentrate on it. They, they can't they can't manage themselves to attend to what they have to do because it needs to get done, i.e. for later.
0: What, what would be an example of that? Homework. Homework, yeah, well.
1: But for these kids, it's really difficult, particularly if you spend all day working very hard at school to hold it together and concentrate, and you come home and you have to do more of that it's intolerable. and um, what we also see is, is that, uh, you know, if, if for example, um, you've been playing in the mud all day, you know, and you're dirty and you need to take a bath before you get in, in your bed so that, you know, your clean sheets remain clean. Um, if you don't like, uh, taking baths, or you don't feel like it, you're, not, you're tired and you, will, you can't apply yourself to do that in the moment because you don't want to, because you don't see the value in the later. It's very, very hard for these kids to think on to the next moment. Their brain is in the present. It's very hard to get to the next present. For kids who have uh, neurotypical brains, they're in the present also, but they are able to see to the next moment they don't like doing something right now, they'll understand that when it's done, they're gonna feel better or they wanna get out of the way so they can do the next thing. For kids with ADHD, they have to have incentives and rewards to do it. So it's a spectrum of attention because younger children Um, struggle with the types of attention that kids with ADHD who are a little older also struggle with. So we might see a six-year-old struggling with the same issues that a nine-year-old with ADHD is struggling with, only we don't expect a nine-year-old to struggle with them um, and I'm talking about, you know, you sit down, you have to do your homework for 10 minutes because you need to get it done or you have a test tomorrow. A six-year-old will do the homework because it has to be done and be, move on. But for a nine-year-old, they'll be more like a six-year-old. They'll struggle to do that homework.
0: Mm-hmm. Um any any other examples of homework because I guess I have a, a personal issue with homework where where I just I just find it to be to be torture even for the parents. Like I remember having a really you know, a really hard time with um, with homework with my children of I I, like, I don't understand the concept of these children are in school all day long and then they have to continue working when they're home, when they're being deprived of just being children and being with their family and helping around the house because of schoolwork. So for me that um, and I guess also with my Montessori background where we really don't have homework where, you know, we, we respect that would there be like another example?
1: Um, so, so the thing that I want to say is that, yeah, you know, if you have, let's, let's use going up to bed as a better example, okay? And you may want to only use this example. Um, you, you have a nine-year-old who has ADHD, and you would expect that a nine-year-old can go upstairs, put on their pajamas, as you've asked, brush their teeth, and maybe get into bed. You know, they can follow a three-step direction. An ADHD child can only do the one step. And so your nine-year-old might be able to go upstairs, but they're not going to get through all... They might be able to go upstairs on their own and maybe put on their pajamas, but they're not going to go through all the steps and get in bed. We would expect a six-year-old to struggle to go upstairs, put their pajamas on, brush their teeth and get in bed without being supervised. And so what happens is that parents of kids who have ADHD, who are nine, expect their nine-year-old to act maybe as a sibling who doesn't have ADHD acts or a cousin who doesn't have ADHD acts or the parent who never had ADHD acted, and, and then they're frustrated. But in the present moment, in that now moment, the child can't pull themselves sort of out of what's happening to do the thing that they need to do, because that thing that they should do is unpleasant. It's not what they want. And so they're going to drag, drag their feet. They are might push back with a tantrum or yelling. And yes, we would see that behavior in a nor in a neurotypical six-year-old, but we wouldn't see it in a neurotypical nine-year-old. So what,
0: what would be the difference of that? And what I would considered a strong willed child who just, you know, is is forceful about their opinion or about what they want to be doing. Like is, to me, that would be more of a character trait. Um, what would what, what, what is like the, the difference between that and a child that has ADHD?
1: Well, there's a difference between not wanting to do something, you don't want to go upstairs, because you don't feel like it. Versus actually not being fully capable of separating yourself from the situation, following a three-step set of directions. And that's what we're talking about here, that kids with ADHD cannot muster up the, the self-management tools that they need to do that. You know, kids who are so-called strong-willed kids push back because they um Uh, because they're testing for power, they're testing the limits, they want to have a say in what's going on around them. That's true for kids with ADHD and without them. For kids with ADHD, they may do that to excess, and they might do that to excess because A, they spend all day listening to what other people have to tell them about how they should do things or how they need to do things better, and they don't want to hear it when they get home or B, they just don't have the attention capacity to be able to follow through with the, with with directions. And they they get distracted, you know, they can walk up the stairs, but then they're going to see the dog and lie down with the dog versus, you know, being able to say, Oh, there's a the dog, I'm going to keep going because I want to put my pajamas on.
0: Right, right. So how are we able to detect that it is this um, you know, chronic illness, like you say that, that how, how can the parent know that it's different from, you know, having a strong willed child or, or, you know, having a child who, who's being a child to something that is definitely neurologically different.
1: So in order to be diagnosed with ADHD, you have to demonstrate six out of nine symptoms areas of functioning. And again, we're talking about persistent inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity, more frequent and severe than we would see in children of a similar age. So first of all, I don't like to refer to it as an illness, an FYI, I like to refer to it as a condition because I have never talked to a child with ADHD, and I've talked to a lot of them who want to have a disorder or a disability, they, they don't like those words. And actually in my office, I will use the word disorder, ADHD and disorder either with a child who brings it up themselves and then I wanna know what that means to them or when I'm talking alone with adults. But with kids, I'm interested in what, what kind of brain they think they have. Do they have an attention wandering brain? Do they have a fast brain, a jumping brain, a dreamy brain, a foggy brain? Kids have some idea of how their brain works and we name it and then we use that name because that's near their experience that feels real to them. And then they don't have to feel bad about themselves for having a uniquely wired brain. What happens is the kids are labeled with a disorder and then they start to feel like something's wrong with them because I said earlier that development is in a child's favor, the brain matures over time. Now, eventually, um, the frontal lobes connect with the rest of the brain. Uh, it takes a little longer. In ADHD brains, there is a deficit of of, neuro, of two neurotransmitters that are key for attention, um, impulsivity, um, concentration, um, and interest, pleasure. Um, and that, those are dopamine and norepinephrine. So you're, you, you, know, you have this issue in the brain where there's just not enough of these neurotransmitters to, 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 to ferry the signals from one neuron to another so that um, uh, intention and, and thoughts, ideas, and emotions are, are being managed efficiently in the brain. And so we we see we see these issues in all areas of life. Issues where it's hard to keep your body to yourself. Issues where you have big feelings and you melt down, or you blurt out things that you don't want to say, or you're very disorganized, or you have trouble um, understanding how to prioritize things, or or recalling things, or you process information more slowly. I mean, these are all signs that something is not quite right. One of the challenges, the biggest challenges for kids with ADHD is that they struggle with self-regulation, managing the self and younger kids who are are neurotypical struggle with that too. But we're looking at kids of the same age. It's a peer. you, You compare peers in a general sense, and in a specific way. Okay. And so
0: there, there's several questions that came up for me. One of them I was fascinated by, by um, when you say that children describe their brains. So the children that you work with, um, they're aware that something is different, or they they and they so they're aware and they're, they're struggling, they want to identify it. Most kids are aware that they're different than their peers. And is that because it's being called out to them? Or it's really something that they notice in in, like comparing yourself to someone else?
1: Both. And, you know, now some kids, some kids with ADHD who have inattentive ADHD may not notice um, as much as as other kids. But in general, what they notice is that they are struggling when other kids aren't. They have trouble sitting at their desk. They have trouble sitting through meeting. They have trouble managing their bodies in ways that are appropriate. Um, they have trouble managing their feelings, their words, you know, they have kids report, they have this like tidal wave of emotion and they're going along fine. And then pow, they're hit with something. And so, and they can't manage it. They just, it, it, it takes over. And that's because the executive functioning skills, the prefrontal cortex manages our emotional brain. And so when you have, um, uh, when you have lower levels of dopamine and norepinephrine, the connections um, from the frontal cortex um, to the rest of the brain are just not happening with the efficiency and effectiveness we would like.
0: And when you talk, you know, to parents, because I know your your book title, which I love, of you know what your ADHD child wishes you knew what like how do you empower parents to be able to navigate this um you know this relationship if they if they are just have one child or if they have several children and only one has this uh condition you know how what are the tools that you give parents to be able to navigate this
1: when i wrote my book Uh, I created an approach, the five C's uh, approach to ADHD parenting. And in this approach, there are five themes. So the first theme is self-control. As the adult, you need to manage yourself first. You know, when you get on an airplane, you don't put the oxygen mask on your child first. You're told to put it on yourself first. You have to manage your own feelings. If you're dysregulated, there is no way you're going to be able to act or re- act act or respond to your child in a clear thinking manner and so you're when you're activated you're just throwing fuel on the it's like kindling on a fire they're 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 swelling up very quickly and you're swelling up and then you're just engulfed in this you know flame, so to speak. And so how are you going to manage yourself? You're going to notice what kinds of things trigger you. You're going to create a way to calm yourself down. And that could be step outside for a minute. It could be yoga breathing. It could be going to the bathroom and washing your hands. Even if there's banging on the other side of the door, you get a moment to look in the mirror and say, you can do this um, because you're pulling yourself together before you deal with your child. The second C is compassion. You're meeting your kids where where they are, not where you think they should be. You have a nine-year-old with ADHD. Your brother may have a nine-year-old who does not have ADHD. Your brother's son could be very well capable of coming home from school, having a snack, and doing their homework right away, getting it over with. And your child may need to come home and spend an hour just, you know, um, blowing off steam, playing basketball, um, playing cards with you, running around because they're not ready yet. They, 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 they need a break from school or they can't, as I said earlier, you know, follow a set of directions with more than one step. We're meeting a child where they are and we're offering them compassion. We're thinking about how they're doing the best they can to get through every day with those resources they have available, which are somewhat limited at this point. We're going to collaborate with our kids. That means we're not going to necessarily, at times, we're going to tell them what needs to happen, but when we're trying to improve these skills. You know, whether it's um, managing your time or being organized or, you know, so you can get ready for school on time, we're going to work together on creating a plan. And that means that you're going to brainstorm ideas with your child and incorporate some of their ideas, even if they sound zany, into whatever program you're creating. You're going to use incentives, incentives that matter, because kids with ADHD don't develop internal motivation in the same time in, in this, to the same at the same time frame as kids who have neurotypical brains it takes them longer and so they need external motivators to help them get things done and that's because they have lower amounts of dopamine which is a neurotransmitter that helps with interest and pleasure you're going to stay steady you're going to stay consistent So most of the time you're going to do what you say you're going to do. We can't do that all the time. We're not perfect. But when we're not doing that, we're going to call an exception. Um, We're also going to forgive ourselves. That's a part of compassion, self-compassion. We're doing the best we can. And we're going to notice efforting. So we're going to notice when kids are really trying to do something that we've asked them. Um, They may not be succeeding, but they're working in that direction. And particularly for kids with ADHD, who struggle with task completion, um, it's helpful to acknowledge their efforts along the way. It encourages them to keep going. And then finally, we're going to celebrate. We're going to acknowledge and validate what we see our kids doing. Uh, Dr. Barbara Fredrickson has wrote a book called Positivity, and she did a lot of research, and she said that the positivity ratio needs to be a minimum of three positives for every negative. And Jean-Marie, I have to tell you, I've traveled all like around the around the world and I've asked parents about this. you know what do you think the ratio is for one positive? How many negatives does your child hear a day? And it ranges anywhere from ten to thirty. So if you're growing up and that's what you're hearing about yourself, sit still, don't do this, do this, please join whatever it is. You know, it's, it's feedback. In fact, one child said to me, I don't know why you guys think there's anything as, po- why you adults think there's anything uh, called positive feedback. It's all negative. So we have to counter about, we have to counteract that. And we have to counteract that, uh, act that consciously. And we have to help our kids do that. We need to come home and at dinner, ask for three good things of the day. Yeah. We need to, we need to put our phones down for an hour during that, bewit—that I call it the witching hour when you come home from school and everything is crazy. You have to do it. There's homework, there's dinner, you know, there's just a lot of stuff going on. Don't think you're going to get to be on your phone. Put your phone down and just be with the family, particularly with your ADHD child. You know, for, for working parents whose kids are in after school, these kids, when they come home, they are done. They're cooked. And they need to have time, you know, whether it's your time, whether one boy I worked with, he was eight, he came home and he would like, he would literally roll around on the floor and the mother was beside herself because she's like, he's rolling on the floor, you know, I'm trying to make dinner, you know, and he's in the kitchen. I said, look, why don't you come home and have, uh, he said, I said, I asked him what's going on. He's like, well, I need my flippy floppy time. I said, well, what's that? He's I got to flip a flop around. You know, I've been at school all day. So I said, great. So we had five minutes of family flippy floppy time. Mom did some stretching. The teenage daughter sat in the chair and listened to music. Um, the son flipped, rolled around. He was a single mom with her kids. You know, we want to think creatively. So that's part of a celebrate a celebratory brain. You're thinking outside of the box.
0: Right. And and it's fascinating because to me, the the five C's that you just shared are also for, you know, atypical children, like for me, that's, that's the parenting, like that whole modeling of self control, the, the, the compassion that we need to have for ourselves and for them, you know, collaboration, consistency, that all of that, and it just sounds like it's just, we need to be like, even more aware for our ADHD child.
1: One of my clients says, has a child with ADHD and a child uh, who's neurotypical, an And, um, and he says to me, Dr. Sharon, parenting ADHD is like good parenting, but on steroids. Okay, he said, okay. so you know what we're, we're we're thinking about, we're we're considering the fact that these these kids have brains that are wired in a, in a different type of way, you know, and we don't we're not going to put them down for it. We're just going to try to accommodate and adapt, both as an individual and as a family. That doesn't mean we give in to them. That doesn't mean you give your child as much TV as, you, as they want, but you negotiate, you know, I, I, I want, I want, I, I need to come home and I want to have, I want to watch a show. Okay. And then what about your homework? I'll do it after. No, well, that's only going to work if you get off your show without yelling at me. So we'll try that tomorrow. And if you can get off the show when the show is over, actually come away from the TV and sit down with my help and do, and start your homework, we can we can integrate that into our after school plan. But if you yell at me, we're not going to do that, because it doesn't work, you have to do your work first, and then you can watch TV.
0: Right, right, which is which is very, very much like, you know, like your your client said, being a, you know, good parent on steroids is just being even more aware of that need for consistency and, and collaboration and such.
1: I personally am not a fan of having kids come home and get their, their 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 reward first. You know, if kids who have ADHD come home and they need a break, that's great. They can do, they can get on the exercise cycle that you have in the basement. They can shoot some hoops. They could walk the dog with you. You could play a game of cards. But giving them technology before they've done the, the hard stuff, they haven't earned it and for kids with adhd it's essential that they earn their rewards because they struggle to do things that aren't pleasurable more than neurotypical kids it's even harder for them
0: yeah and and it's hard for me to to hear that i mean i'll be perfectly honest because i have a hard time with you know the the whole rewards um there's so much I feel like there's so much in today's parenting that is about, you know, uh, kind of rewards and bribes and all of that, that I, I try as much as possible to encourage parents to kind of stay away from that. But what you're saying is that these children, that's how their brain is wired, that they, that they kind of need that?
1: Yes. And and, and, here, and here's the thing. I actually uh, I'm not talking about bribes. A bribe is here's your TV. Then when you're done, I'm going to give you your TV and then you do your homework. That is like I'm going to give you the gift and then I want you to do the action. This is very different. You do the action and then you earn the reward or the gift or whatever you want to call it. Um, the, the, the thing is that because uh, because of the lower levels of dopamine, it's harder for people with ADHD to muster up interest and motivation to things that are perceived as unpleasant and not pleasurable. It's totally hard. So a neurotypical kid may not enjoy it, but they can muster up the the ability to do it because they know when they're done, they're going to feel better. Or they can, they, 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 um, uh, they have a sense you have that you know of things that need you should do and reasons why. For kids with ADHD, the now is so intolerable that they can't get to the not now or the later. It's the- and so the incentive moves them along, and that's the biological basis of ADHD.
0: Well, it's fascinating. It's, to me, I'm I'm always fascinated with just how our human. Brain works. So this is like another level to that of, of just these, you know, neurotransmitters that are not functioning, how how it can make a person just act differently. So fascinating. Thank, thank you for um, helping me and our listeners understand a little bit better what this condition is all about.
1: Well, you're most welcome. And I'd like to just say that if for the listeners, if there's one thing that I want to leave you with, It's to remember that ADHD is a disorder of self-regulation. Kids cannot manage themselves the way they want to. They don't wake up in the morning thinking, oh, how am I going to mess up today? Or how am I going to mess up mom's life today? They want to do the right thing. They lack the executive functioning skills and the tools to follow through on their innate desires. And over time, the more negativity they receive, the fewer those innate desires become so we want to help kids try to feel good about what they are able to do it's critical
0: right 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 beautiful thank you for that and and i always like to wrap things up with a more personal question if i may of course Uh, (laughs) you mentioned earlier that you are the parent of two young adults Mm. And your your eldest is how old if I may ask
1: He's 25. And my daughter is 21.
0: 25. So if you were to go back 26 years ago, when you were expecting your first child, what wise words would you have liked to hear knowing all that you know, today,
1: manage yourself so you can be there for others more effectively. You know, we all have executive functioning skills, and we all have strengths and challenges. Um, For neurotypical brains, they have a few challenges and a lot of strengths. It's the inverse for ADHD brains. They have a few strengths and a lot of challenges. I come from a long line of anxious, intense, neurotic, if you say, if you would, Jewish women, and I have big feelings. And I think my greatest regret in my parenting was not um, uh, having more tools, even though I sought them, I felt like I could have used more tools um, to manage myself more effectively. They well, There was just wasn't as much available 25 years ago as there is now.
0: Right. And, and thank you because you have created many tools for parents. Um, so thank you for the work that you've been doing.
1: Oh, you are most welcome. And I have a lot of free resources on my website.
0: Yes. And I will put all those links, uh, right below in the show notes, um, to, to help parents discover all of these tools and, and reach out to you if, if need be. Um, Dr. Céline, thank you so much for your time today and for shedding light on uh, ADHD in our children. Thank you.
1: You are so welcome, Jean-Marie, and merci beaucoup for a lovely uh, conversation.
0: Have you been searching for the owner's manual to your child or did you just misplace it? Are you tired of trying to figure out this whole parenting puzzle, not knowing what to do when it comes to tantrums, hitting or biting, sibling rivalry, potty training, proper sleep habits, or just plain wanting a better relationship with your child? You know, I've been at this for a while now and wanted to share my own parenting manual. It's called The Parenting School, and I've created it with you in mind. Give your child and yourself the gift of mindful parenting in just a few short weeks and discover all the tools you'll ever need to parent without losing your patience, giving in, or worrying that you're messing up. If you're yearning to be more patient and present with your child while finding balance in your own life, then you already know that you need effective parenting tools and ongoing support you know you weren't meant to be raising children alone. And you probably already know that having the right parenting tools during moments of conflict is the key to staying grounded, responding with empathy, and strengthening your parent-child relationship. You've probably sensed that you'd be a more confident parent if you had a like-minded community supporting and encouraging you. Your skills have gotten you this far, but most days you still feel like you're making it up as you go. So here's what I've got for you. Reliable parenting principles that will allow you to finally set boundaries you can confidently uphold, communicate effectively with your child, declutter your home to enhance your child's independence, learning, and family harmony, and find more time to do the things you love this is what the parenting school is all about. During this digital parenting course, you'll get weekly modules with lessons focused on key areas to get you where you want to be. These modules come packed full of video tutorials, journal prompts, actionable activities, expert interviews, and more, as well as weekly lifeline group mentoring calls where I answer your questions personally plus a virtual village with like-minded parents supporting each other during this deep dive parenting intensive. I'll also include some extra special bonuses to keep you inspired and motivated along the way. So if this sounds too good to be true and you're ready to up-level your parenting skills as well as your family's well-being, head on over to the parenting school at voilamontessori.com slash tps dash enroll that's tps for the parenting school dash enroll to learn more about the, all the benefits of this fabulous interactive digital course i've created just for you and by the way i've also added the link in the show notes for you looking forward to supporting you and your family I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for
1: you. Till next time.